Imagine knowing exactly what your students are learning and exactly which steps you need to take next. Join us in Down With The Reading Quiz to craft meaningful and productive formative assessments that move away from gotcha moments of basic recall and toward assessing what your students actually can do. In this 30-minute free masterclass, we'll share three powerful assessment keys that work for any novel at any time of the year. Head to shop.bravenewteaching.com slash masterclass to sign up, and we'll also send you a free workbook to keep track of all your notes. Once again, that's shop.bravenewteaching.com slash masterclass to nail formative assessments forever. Well, hello, and welcome back to Brave New Teaching. It's Amanda here today, and I am here with you to share another incredible interview. We are doing a short series right now examining all of the different ways that independent reading can make a star presence in your classroom. I admittedly, in a couple episodes ago, we talked about choice reading and this independent reading journey. This is something that has been a struggle point for me in a career that has had lots of ups and downs. This has definitely been, for me, something that has been on the harder side of things. And I'm not quite sure why, but that's why we have this wonderful world of teachers and community so that we can learn and grow with one another from each other's strengths. And that is exactly what my guest on the podcast today has, is incredible strength, brilliance. And I am so excited to introduce you all to Abby Gross. You might know her as Right On With Miss G, but Abby has been around for a minute. She's actually been on the podcast once before, Several, I mean, maybe a year ago, two years ago, we interviewed her and the whole crew of the Keeping the Wonder professional development book series. And this time we get to have Abby all to ourselves. Abby is an incredible teacher and she has been on quite a journey that I think a lot of you will resonate with. She is not a one shot, I've only done one thing kind of teacher. She has been around the block. Abby and I first met, oh my gosh, I want to say, six years ago now, something like that. And we chatted on Instagram briefly and then decided to take a little road trip together. And we went down to Nashville, we went to a conference. And I can just say from firsthand experience, not only is Abby a wonderful follow on social media, she's an incredible, actual, real human. And I really wanted to single her out for today's episode because she has been in my position, your position, in the position of a high school English teacher that's been a little bit, you know, maybe disenchanted with the whole idea of independent reading or really wanted to be part of it. And then every attempt has kind of fallen flat. Abby's been there. She's been in the high school classroom and she has recently moved to the middle school classroom. And so that transition is what gave her the chance to wake up to a whole new set of possibilities for what independent reading can look like in her classroom. So for all of my middle school teachers out there, this is a special episode dedicated especially to you because Abby is going to give us the middle school independent reading rundown. And she's also going to give us ideas, those of us who are not in that position, other ideas that we can take into our classrooms otherwise. And really, I have to tell you, this conversation just gave me hope that when I do go back in the classroom, that this is something I actually can pull off successfully. So without further ado, I want to introduce you all to the wonderful and fabulous and talented Abby Gross. 
You're listening to Brave New Teaching, and we are so much more than a podcast. We give teachers the inspiration, support, and tools to challenge the status quo. I'm Amanda, and I'm a former English teacher from Illinois. And I'm Marie, and I'm a teacher from Southern California. Join us at bravenewteaching.com to find out more about our courses, festivals, and get every episode's show notes. We're so glad you're here. Enjoy the show. podcast, Abby. We are so happy to have you here. I know our audience has been eagerly awaiting this episode. And for anyone who doesn't already know you, would you like to introduce yourself to Brave New Teaching? Sure. Well, thank you for having me on here. It's always fun to chat with you. So I am a part-time seventh grade reading teacher now, which wasn't always the case. I started my career in high school, but I teach part-time. And then the other part-time, I create curriculum, I blog, I'm a presenter for Keeping the Wonder, and now a two-time author for Keeping the Wonder. We published our first book in 2021, Keeping the Wonder. It's a guide for teachers. And then most recently in December, we came out with a picture book for kids of all ages called The Magic of Wonder. So author is now on my resume twice, which is wild, but super exciting. Yeah. I remember when you guys first put out the book and we had all four of you on the podcast at once. It was a six-way interview. Do you remember that? It was a good time though. <laughs> we pulled it off. We we teacherfied it. Like we we yeah. it. So it was fine. Yes. Between all six of us, we could produce one one coherent <laughs> episode. Well, I'm so excited to have you here, just Abby, because for those of you who don't already know, Abby and I have been friends for a very, very long time. I absolutely adore everything about you and your life and who you are as a person and certainly as an educator. And I think I think the listeners deserve to know a little bit about your teaching journey because you've been in so many different capacities in your young, young life, my friend. What what has your teaching journey looked like? So it's, it's been a whirlwind. I did start my career in high school. Like I mentioned, I was teaching mainly juniors, American lit, but I also taught newspaper, journalism, technical writing once, a random remedial class, so a variety of classes. Did that for five years. And then I ended up trying out online teaching pre-pandemic. I hated it. I resigned. (laughs) So that was a small snippet of my story. Uh, But I really did learn a lot about myself as a teacher and and what I like and what I don't like and what I need. And then I thought after that, like, let's just add some more change to the mix. Middle of pandemic, moved states back to Ohio. And I thought, let's let's try middle school. I, I just was like ready to just jump into something totally new. I thought everything else is chaotic. So why not? And I fell in love with middle school. I was one of those teachers. I don't know if you were like this as a high school teacher. I like swore to never teach middle school. Yes. I was scared of those children. Yes. And now it's my dream job. And it's it's still weird to say like part of me still identifies as this high school English teacher, but I'm like, no, I'm I'm in seventh grade and, and things are weird and wild, but it's it's fun. <laughs> oh my God. It's like I don't even know you. It is. Sometimes I <laughs> I have these like out of body moments where I like look around my classroom and I'm like I'm teaching middle school. <laughs> and sometimes that's good and sometimes that's bad. But uh, I really do love it. It's It keeps me entertained. And it really has been a refreshing change. And it's kind of just what I needed in my career. I needed a change and I didn't know like what I needed. It clearly wasn't the online teaching. It was this. And I've learned so much about myself as a teacher. And I feel like I've, I've grown a lot just from trying out middle school. (laughs) Well, and I know that's not what we're here to talk about today, but I feel like it's just encouraging to hear another teacher's 
experience moving around. I feel like we don't hear a lot about teachers who have career changes or do different things. And it's scary to do what you've done. I mean, not all of yours were like direct choices. Some of them were more like life chose for you. But I think having variety in your teaching life is so powerful. And you are a testament to that. Yeah, I agree. I really think the change has helped me. And, And some of it was totally scary. I when I decided to interview for the middle school position, you know, I was just putting myself out there interviewing everywhere because I was seeking a part-time position. And I was like, you know, I know that's so rare. If I get it, I'm going to have to hold on to that. And I didn't know if I'd love middle schoolers. I was, I was very, very had like all the imposter syndrome feels my first couple days and weeks. And then I was like, okay, I can do this. It's not all too different from high school, but it's, it was exactly what I needed. So what are those differences? That, that was actually what I wanted to yeah. ask. You. What, what are the biggest differences between, you know, we're, we're going to talk a lot today for listeners. We're going to talk a lot today about independent reading. And um, you have heard on the previous episode, Marie talked with Jenna Copper about um, what that looks like at the high school level. But I'm curious from your experience, you know, having been in both worlds, even without independent reading necessarily, what are those like big changes or is it kind of the same? So in some ways it's not as different as you'd think. In some ways, it's it's very similar. And the cool thing about middle schoolers, they are like swinging back and forth between being little kids and, and being like big kids or like high schoolers trapped in a little tiny middle school body. So it's it's honestly hilarious and fun and just cute to witness that. It's like even within the day, within the hour, <laughs> sometimes they're total little children. Um, and sometimes they're they're grown ups, and it's so fun to see because you can kind of play on that. Like you can be like, okay, hey kids, we're we're grown up, we're in middle school now, we're not down the hallway in elementary. <laughs> like we gotta we gotta be big kids today. But then other days, it's like if you say, okay, we're gonna come on the carpet and we're gonna read this picture book, and it's gonna connect to our lesson. They just light up with joy. So it's it's cute to see that little kid part come out. And I've kind of had to force myself to be a little bit more elementary minded, which is totally not me. I'm not like the call and response elementary minded teacher lady. That's just not me at all. But I've been able to kind of get into that. Like, and it, it kind of plays into the whole keeping the wonder and the whimsy and the fun. So it's just kind of fun to swing back and forth depending on the day or depending on their moods. So, so that's fun. It's different. And there are some days when I look around and, and they seem like very little kids. And I question who am I to teach these, these 12 year olds, you know, I belong back in high school. But then there are other days when it's just so rewarding to kind of they're so impressionable and they're still learning so much and you can you can do a lot with them. So that's uh, yeah, it's it is so hard to imagine anything different when you're stuck where you are. Oh, yeah. And so I mean, I think that that's just so refreshing to hear because I'm also I'm in a period of transition. I'm currently out Mm -hmm. of the classroom, but certainly I've never, ever pictured that being forever. But I don't know that I've ever pictured when I go back into a classroom it being a middle school one. But maybe, maybe, maybe. Yeah. Well, and you see how your kids are when they get to the middle school years. I mean, you might be terrified. (laughs) It's always funny. Like, parents will come into conferences and they're like, is my child okay? And we're like, yeah, your kid's fine. Like, they just want to make sure their child is developing and, like, socially they're fine. I'm like, yes, your your child is great. But I will say one one difference that I noticed that's more related to what we're going to talk about with independent reading. I, I I hesitate to say this because I don't want to say it's easier, but I think it's slightly easier to help them rediscover their love for reading mm-hmm. because they're not too far removed from that like magical yeah. elementary story time. A, a lot of them, they come to me and they don't really like reading anymore because it's turned into more of a chore, but 
there's that love. It's just kind of hidden. It's just kind of dormant. And I think it's easier to wake it up in middle schoolers, at least in seventh graders, than it is if you're like teaching seniors. And the last book they read was Diary of a Wimpy Kid in third grade. I mean, you do have kids like that who truly have not read a book in years in high school. So that's definitely a perk, I think, <laughs> for me. Oh, ma- oh, yeah. When you get them at 10th and 11th grade and, and yeah. they've been dormant um, for even longer, it's so much more strenuous and disheartening sometimes to try to do it at the high school level. It's hard. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Oh, my gosh. Okay, so speaking of that, I, I do want to let you kind of speak to this too. You know, now that you've been on both sides, you know, what is something that you now know about middle school that potentially could have made you an even more powerful high school teacher? Like, how has middle school teaching given you insight in a way that like, if you had, you know, even if you don't go back, if those of us who are in high school, what is the middle school insight that you can give us, you know, as we stare out at this wide, these wide eyed, (laughs) despondent, giving up on life, high school kids? Well, I think it's exactly what we're going to talk about today. And that's the independent reading. I, and I truly, I fantasize and I dream about going back to high school. I don't know if I will, who knows, you know, what life will bring, but I kind of just want to go back and just prove to myself and those kids like that they can fall back in love with reading. Um, And just realizing even in middle school, I know I said it, I think it's a little bit easier. They're not as so far removed, but kids, if you give them the right kind of support and access to books and time and choice, they can enjoy reading more, or they could at least like tolerate it. You know, with some kids, my goal is just, let's get you to not hate reading. Let's get you to tolerate it. And that's enough. Um, So I truly wish I could go back to high school and implement independent reading. It would look different for sure, because with high school, there's there's so much extra pressure to fit everything in. You know, maybe that's like reading every other day instead of reading every day. Maybe that's first chapter Friday every month instead of every Friday. But I truly think that I could go back and implement pieces of what I've done in middle school. And I, I feel like I did a disservice to those high school kids by not placing any focus on independent reading. I'm going to be honest. I We did not do independent reading. I did not do much at all to promote lifelong reading habits. I, I was, I think, too focused on the set curriculum. And, you know, I was a beginning teacher. I was still learning a lot. And I taught, you know, when you're teaching four classes at one time, it's, it's difficult to reflect and change your teaching as much as you would like to. But if I knew what I know now, I I would have to. I would find a way. I would find the time. I would interrogate everything I was doing and cut out any fluff and make more time for books and reading. I would do it. I would find a way. And maybe one day day I will, because like I said, I do want to prove it to myself. And I, I think back to some of those kiddos and I still stay in touch with some of them that I taught in high school, but it's like, I wish I could have done this with them in some capacity. Um, Yeah. But yeah. I think maybe you and I need to collaborate on like a ginormous blog post of like possibilities. Cause I know that one, one of the things that I keep running into with people that I coach and other, other things there are, I think high school is, and I I don't know about middle school, but I feel like high school is such a minefield for the extra stuff. And it's very hard when you're in it to have the perspective of what you can ditch and what mm-hmm. you should lean into. And I think too, yeah. the only times I've been successful with independent reading have been when either I've had like a full year perspective of what does this look like? 
And, mm-hmm. and the times that I've failed, <laughs> which we're going to talk about too, have been when I'm like scrambling to make it happen day to day or week to week. And it's just kind of, they can feel that it feels like an extra rather than part of the fabric yeah. of how our room is. Yeah. So I totally I agree. We should make a, a long list of like yes. things that could work and things that wouldn't. Yeah, I would love to. Because I actually, thinking back on it, I think my first or second year of teaching, maybe both, our whole school had we, I don't know what we called it. Maybe we just called it SSR. And it was, we had this like kind of study hall period built into the day and it was for kids, you know, you could catch them up on homework and assessments and things like that. It was like one of those weird catch all periods that was just, you'd have random kids in your room that weren't necessarily in your classes. Sure. Yeah. Oh yeah. Every Wednesday you were supposed to sit down with these kids that you didn't even necessarily have relationships with and read. And, you know, some teachers did it, some teachers didn't, and the kids didn't have access to books. And it's like, and I remember being so overwhelmed by that because I'm like, children, read, you know, but I wasn't given the support and it was just, it was impossible to make it happen without more support and without relationships and without book access and like without the culture of reading. And they eventually did away with it because they're like, kids aren't reading. It's like, well, yeah, (laughs) they weren't. But I was, I was a new baby teacher and I didn't, I didn't know what to do. So I let that you know, just the overwhelm and the fear and the uncertainty. I, I didn't, I didn't ever get into it. Well, and that's just like, doesn't that break your heart now? Like, you know, your school, like, I'm not yelling at your school. No, no shade to I, Abby's former I, school. And I love my school. <laughs> I, right. No, I should say this is, this, this is, this is common, right? Schools, mm-hmm. uh, yes. schools are like, this is something we need. And then they don't do all of the research or all of the legwork needed to make it happen. Mm-hmm. They just kind of come like, or 65%. Like we got the time was probably the hardest thing to get. That's the hardest part, but then didn't do the cult. This is, this is a story that I think everyone knows. (laughs) knows Yeah. Yeah. It's so heartening, like, or disheartening because you, you finally got time to do it, but then there was no culture to go with it. So it died. Oh, it was just, it was like that one extra thing thrown on teachers. And if I felt that way as an English teacher, you know, what about the social studies teacher down the hall? Like, how are they supposed to just magically get these kids to read one day a week, you know, with no, no extra support. And no, and no, yeah, it's connected to anything. There's not that. Yeah. I'm sure kids are like, this is going to just go away. That's kind of how I think a lot of teachers feel about a lot of other initiatives. Like if I just wait it out, it's going to go away. (laughs) Yeah. That that's, that's how it goes. Um, So that, and it was just one more thing to wait out and power through and make the kids pretend that they were reading or I don't even think most teachers did that. It was like a classroom management nightmare. (laughs) Nightmare. No, one more stress, which is even Mm -hmm. worse, Mm -hmm. which is even more likely for it to never happen again because of the memories that the traumatized memories teachers have of this experience. That probably affected me. That's probably one reason why I never thought, Hey, you know, I should be doing this within my own classroom where I can control the culture in the community. Listeners, we know that high quality professional development It's hard to come by, especially PD that's affordable and teacher-led. Marie and I have exactly that and want to make sure that you know about your opportunity to join and enlist in the Teaching Memoir and Biography Workshop. We've held it live before, but we've kept all of the training in one convenient place for you to access online. Visit our show notes today or www.curriculumrehab.com slash biography and memoir, and you will have access to an incredible five video training series where we break down 
in great depth all of the nuances, considerations, essential questions, lesson planning, unit outlining that you would need to plan your best memoir or biography unit ever. Come check it out and let us know what you think. We cannot wait to learn with you no matter when, no matter how in this asynchronous professional development. See you over there. Let's talk about how it is done because I'm with you on all of this. I think I'm suffering from a little bit of a little bit of memory trauma right now too from my own experiences. They've been mostly bad with independent reading. I'm not going to lie. Me me either. Okay. So I do want to hear about your wins. Let's just do one quick fail. So as you've like, you're becoming quite the guru. This is like, I feel like on Instagram, I only hear you talk about independent reading. Well, I probably talk about it too much. (laughs) To be honest, I'm like, that's exactly what you people want. (laughs) Sometimes I worry that I've alienated my high school people who came for, you know, the reading units and, and I still do that, but I have become obsessed. So I, I do want to talk about it. I'll talk all about it right now. I mean, okay. So tell us what, cause you do, you look, you look like you've got it all figured out. So humble us here. Tell us about a massive failure. What, what have you tried that like went totally wrong? Okay. Let me, let me let you know that I do not have it all figured out, but I think there's, there's some joy in, in learning and growing. Totally. My first fail, I, oh my gosh, I was so panicked when I first got my job. I'm like middle school. What did these kids even read. I I didn't even fully understand like the boundaries between middle grade literature and young adult literature. Oh, yeah. And I had not been reading that myself. So I I panic bought like a bunch of books that summer before my <laughs> first year teaching. And we were in the middle of the pandemic too. So I'm like, well, how are these kids going to even touch these books? You know, there were all the protocols about the germs and you got to quarantine yes. the book. I mean, I was just, I knew that I wanted to, you know, start independent reading and, and do this right. But I panicked about all these books. And then once the year started, I realized like most of them weren't even the right level or appropriate or they weren't even interesting to the kids. And I mean, we could hardly even touch the books anyways. So I don't think any of those books ever got read. I didn't even put some of them on my shelves, but I was just, I was like, they have to have the books. They have to be there. <laughs> and yes, they, they do. But like, I just bought them all in a panic and a haze. And I, I learned something that year. If you have some budget to buy books and you know you want to promote books access, you need to wait until you meet your students. Like if you get a small chunk of money, we get a little chunk of money for our classroom and I use it only on books because I don't care about anything else in my classroom anymore. I wait until the beginning of the year so I can get to know those kids, like give them that reading inventory and then buy books that they're actually interested in and even ask them like, what are some titles that you don't see on our shelves that you would like to see? So wait until you meet the children (laughs) to buy the books and to really plan out your year. I mean, there's a lot you can do beforehand. Obviously you have to be prepared, but I know I did that same thing before my very first year of teaching. I tried to plan all this stuff in the summer and then I met the kids and I was like, Oh, like you have, you really have to meet the kids, listen to them and respond to them. And that that's what informs most of my teaching is, is listening and responding to the kids. And I think that that's exactly what you have to do with independent reading too. And that's with those of us out there who are type A planners are all shaking right now. Yeah. And, <laughs> and have, and, and, but, but I think that there's a way, cause I definitely am a, I'm type B. I think you and I are very similar in our mm-hmm. like organizational life and like go with the flow ness. But I also do feel like with, with teaching, I do have this like need to have big picture plans laid out. Mm-hmm. And I think that that still works into what you're describing. I think, you know, teachers yeah. don't need to hear this and be like, 
I have to wait for everything. It's like, well, no, we can have templates. We can have exactly like, boundaries, but the specifics we can wait and go with the flow. I think that yeah. I'm okay with that. Yeah. 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 Okay, so then, are lifesavers. <laughs> oh, oh my gosh. Absolutely. Then let's hear about your biggest win. What has been like the best part of your independent reading work with kids? So my biggest win was when a couple weeks into the school year, after I kind of got my footing and I was like, okay, I, I sort of know what I'm doing. I, I really didn't, but I, I felt a little bit more confident. I had heard about this magical first chapter Friday strategy for a while, you know, floating on Instagram. And I thought, you know what? I need to just try this. I was scared. I still didn't know much about what middle schoolers actually like to read. I didn't feel ready, but I'm also my type B self. Like I'm a big believer, jump before you're ready. Like you're going to, you'll force yourself to figure it out. Right. Mm -hmm. So I just decided to try first chapter Friday. I mean, I I think I literally decided on a Thursday per usual, and I still didn't have (laughs) many middle grade books. I distinctly remember, like I had the few books that I had grabbed from my classroom library kind of sprawled out. And I'm just like paging through all the first chapters books that I hadn't read, you know, I'm just trying to see which one has the juiciest, most scandalous first chapter. And I picked a random book and I was so nervous but it went so well. Like those kids, they clearly had not just sat down and been read to in years, probably. And especially with the pandemic, I mean, they had been read to through a screen maybe, but it was so magical. I know that sounds so you know, whimsical, but I mean, they were like just mesmerized. I could hear them like gasping and, you know, they were like shocked by the, the first chapter I picked. It was actually, the book was The Running Dream. And this girl wakes up and she's lost her leg in an accident. She's a runner. So it was it was pretty dramatic and, and scandalous, but they loved it. And I was like, okay, I've got to keep doing this. And then by doing it every Friday or every Thursday night when I picked my book, it forced me to get to know all of this literature. Even if I was only like kind of skimming through or reading the first chapter to see if it would be a good excerpt, I became so familiar with all of these books and these authors So it helped me get to know the books, helped me recommend books to kids, even if I hadn't read them myself. And it it just kind of immersed me in the literature that my kids were reading. And I think it jump-started my whole process. I started reading so much more middle grade and YA and just recommending that to my students. And and to this day, I love First Chapter Friday for that reason, because it challenges me. Like, okay, let me find a fresh new book. Uh, Let me promote it. Because the books that you're showing your students, you know, there's so much power and responsibility in that. Like, if you're featuring a text it's probably going to get read or it's at least going to get looked at or picked up. And you want to make sure you're featuring the books that they'll actually want to read. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit more about what the rest of that looks like? So you read your chapter and then like, what is the process for your room for first chapter Friday? Cause I've heard a lot of different variations on it. What do you guys do? Yeah. So, and it is hard to find a balance because it's, it's all about reading just for the sake of reading and for the joy of reading because yeah how often do you get to do that in school, right? And so, and it's different from independent reading too. So it's also a way to feature books that they might pick up. But I like to have some sort of accountability piece. And it's, it's still hard for me to say, okay, let's just read with nothing. So I give them these like really low maintenance graphic organizers, um, these I call them like active listening sheets. They can do some doodling. They can kind of track their thinking. And I try to pick out a sheet that, you know, fits the book or when I can, when I'm having a real good week, I'll try to align it to the skills that we're working on in class um, or, you know, a new genre that I'm introducing. And we're going to be reading that as a whole class novel. There are a lot of ways you can really be strategic with it, I think. Um, But then there are some days where it might be a super short excerpt and I might just let them listen instead of, you know, I'm not going to have them complete a whole graphic organizer if it's like two pages, you know? So 
And, and I do that as well. Sometimes we don't have a lot of time to sit back, relax and read. And I'll find like the shortest, most impactful first chapter and it still works sure. and, and the books still get read. So I really think it's a strategy you can, you can kind of make it your own. And if you want to have them doing something, you can, if you want to let it just be, you know, sit back, relax and listen. I think you do have to, you know, have a way to keep them accountable. And obviously if they're just like, you know, staring off into space and they're not engaged, you have to intervene. But that's how it works in our classroom. And, and they don't seem to mind the graphic organizers. Some of them okay. enjoy it. And I like, I let them color and then they keep them in their reading binder. So then they have a record, like they can look back if they need a new book. Oh, well, I really liked this one. They can go find it. So it really is tied to everything else. It's not just totally frivolous and fun, but yeah, it, it works out. But it was kind of hard to figure that out in the beginning. I think the first yeah. day I just read and they listened and it worked out well, but I was like, okay, let me, let me add a little bit more structure to this. So I think I found a good balance. I love that. And then what happens with the book? Do, I mean, do, do kids come grab it out of your hands? Oh. What are they? <laughs> what is the procedure of like, they love it. Right. And now what, now what do you do? So I will do, I'll do a little like book lottery. Um, I'll have them write a star on their paper if they want to be entered in the book lottery. Like they are needing a book at that time. Some kids will just try to enter the book lottery every week. And I'm like, child, you you have two books <laughs> on your desk that you're already currently reading. So, you know, we have to have a lesson on like, okay, we have to stick with the books that we're reading. You know, we can't- I think I need that lesson. For a shiny new thing every Friday. So, <laughs> but yeah, we'll do a book lottery. So I do try to pick books that like I have multiple copies of, or I know okay. there's one in the school library, or if I only have one copy- I'll say you can check it out on the local library. Sometimes I've done this maybe only once or twice. I've been really cruel and unusual and like showed a book that I don't own, but it's like a brand new book that I just haven't bought yet because I have to have self-control. Like I'll use the overdrive with the public library and they hate that. But I'm like, you know what, kids, it's going to force you to use all of your options and find other ways to acquire books because you're not always going to have my library. So it's... You can do a lot, but yeah, they, they fight, um, which is, is kind of, I kind of enjoy watching it. Um, yes. <laughs> like, no, fighting over books. It's amazing. Yeah. yeah. It's like, okay, this is great. So it's, it clearly works. Um, and it's always fun. I try to keep track. I have a little spreadsheet where I kind of log which books are more popular, you know, and then I can find more books like that and switch it up year to year. Um, and I also have some blog posts with, um, first oh, yes. titles for middle school and high school. So you can kind of check out what I've used and what has worked in our seventh that. grade classroom. I would say that Abby and I, I'm going to say this without even asking Abby, but we would 10 out of 10 not recommend chapter one of The Great Gatsby. Oh, gosh, no. It is like, it's talk about answer. like the reverse effect of first chapter. Oh Every year it's the one we, we do it together, but it's like only because I need to beg you yes. to hold on past this chapter because it's the worst one. I mean, yeah. At least the no, first seven pages. <laughs> like, come on, yeah, guys. No, it, well, I loved teaching Gatsby in high school. You know this. But yes. every year when I would, like, get out the book to teach it again and, you know, look at my unit, think about what I'm going to change, I'd be like, dear God, Fitzgerald, what, what <laughs> is this first? Like, do I'm really trying to get teens to enjoy this book. And it, yeah, it's a doozy. It's hard for me, man. Yeah. Uh, it gets better, thankfully. But, like, oh, my goodness. Yeah, no, Some not, of that not language. Not. It's like, what are what are you even saying, Nick? Like, Nick, get to the point, Nick. Get yeah. to the point. Yeah, I need um, to go crack that open just for a blast from the past. You do, you do, you do. And I, I can say too, this is this. No one's asked because we're here to talk to Abby. But my first chapter Friday experience at like a fifty minute high school level, we ended up doing first page Friday. Okay, and that's and great. Loved it. Yeah, yeah, and it was awesome. But I had like the same kind of like challenge you did was like I got to find something that really is like 
not Nick droning on about, you know, polo yeah. or whatever. Um, and, and that was really fun to just do a first page because we had to kind of keep cruising. We still got a little bit of that effect, not nearly as much, but it was still good. So yeah. That's exactly what I wish I could have done. You know, first page, even like first line, like there's, there's yes. so many ways that I could take little pieces yes. and, and cram it into a high school schedule. And I, I wish I could do that. So I well, love I that that worked for you guys. It did. Well, it was, it was a piece, but I didn't, I never really think I had the whole thing together, which is why I kind of want to hear from you more about like, what does like at the bird's eye view, what is independent reading? What does it look like? And what does it not look like? Because I think there's a lot of misnomers. You know, Abby and I were chatting before the episode and I said, I can't tell you how many teachers tell me, well, we have kind of like you were saying it's your other school, like this mandatory SSR time, but like they're saying like that is their independent reading. Like, I don't think that there's other book events or culture of reading going on. So I'm curious how you've got all of the pieces rolling. I I mean, between libraries and checkouts and the reading part and the featuring books, how does, how do you make this magic happen? Well, let me start with what it doesn't look like because that's that's easier to describe, but you know, if you glanced in a classroom, it, to an outsider's perspective, it might look the same if you're just popping your head in and you're seeing kids kids read. You have to know what's going on behind the scenes. But here's what it doesn't look like. So just releasing the kids to read, setting a timer, saying, okay, you need to be quietly reading during this time. You're responsible for bringing your book um, and just kind of like throwing them to the wild and giving this free, totally unstructured time where you just kind of hope that they'll happen upon the right book and fall in love with it. And you're just, you're doing, you're doing the time and you're, you're, you're making them read. And if you're doing that, it, they might be fake reading. You might have a quiet environment, which, which can be a very nice way to start your day. You know, like we start with 10 minutes of reading every day and it's, it's calming for everyone involved, but true independent reading for our classroom, it looks like so much more than, than just what you see. There's so much that goes on behind the scenes and sometimes when I, when people pop by and they stick their heads in, I'm like, I hope they know that I, I'm, I'm doing a lot of things. Like they see the kids and they're just reading and they're mesmerized by their books, which, which is good. But I, I hope they know that, well, we have done X, Y, Z to even get that book in that child's hand. So it looks like 10 minutes every day for us. We start the class period every single day. And I made that decision because I know myself, if I put it at the end of the day, we would never get there. I'd be like, oh, one more thing. And it would be seven minutes and five minutes. And we would not have that time. So I really see independent reading as like, it is prioritized, protected, precious time. And and you really do have to defend it as a teacher. You have to fit everything else around it. That's kind of the perspective shift that I've had, because if you're not giving them time, some of them are never going to pick up a book and read. And you have to confront that and give them that time and you have to dedicate it. So it looks like time first and foremost. And then it looks like access to books, whether that's in your classroom library, which I I highly, highly encourage because I think having like fingertip access to books that are right there in that moment is paramount because, you know, if you're just relying on a school library or, you know, an outside library or books at home, you know, they might have a book and they might decide they don't want to read it. And then what, what happens next? You have to like restart that process all over again. So having access and having access from a variety of sources, like I said, so they have my classroom library, they have the school library, Starting this year, I got them set up with library cards from the public library. In the past, I had just had them sign up for like the digital cards 
online. But this year I'm like, you know what? Email the local teen librarian. She says, oh, I'll give you applications. I, she even delivered them, like even delivered the cards to our school, did a little presentation. Oh, sweet. Like, I'm always trying to preach about how librarians they want to help you. Like we don't have to do this alone. We can rely on other sources, other books. We don't have to have all of the books, all of the all of the things in our classroom. Um, so access, and then of course choice, choice to read what they want to read. That is a game changer, and that's essential. And like honestly, true choice. So graphic novels, audiobooks, novels in verse, all the formats, all of the books, and, and letting them and honoring what they they're interested in. Um, and then of course, just a lot of support. So that's what it looks like. We can talk more about that support yeah. piece and, and the guidance from the teacher, but it's a whole lot more than just marking out the 10 minutes or whatever time to read. And I think that that is something to really like I'll talk about what am I going to do over the summer? Like that, there it is, right? It's, it's conceptualizing what do the procedures look like? You know, how do we come together? How do we be apart? How do all of the pieces work? Like the functionality of it, I think is what I never really did enough with because I was so excited about getting books and filling out a library. Like I knew the books, but I never really, I think, got a handle on the very like logistical part, right? the, the, the systems and procedures, the logistics. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's so cool. So I'd love to, I'd love to hear more about like the strategies and the logistics that you use with independent reading to make, make it work all year. Cause I can probably say that more years of the 13 years I taught, there were way more years where I started it and it failed. than it was sustained for a very long time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I totally get it. And I, I, like I said, when I first started, I did not know what I was doing. <laughs> I was just trying things out. And I, I kind of was like, you, I'm like, I have to have all the books. And then as I taught, I realized I- I've got to do so much more. I have to promote these books. I have to display these books. You have to bring the books to the children, even if they're right there on the shelves. So I, I do think it's something that you can do and you can grow over time. And I would say the way I learned how to do what I'm doing now is taking the lead from the students and kind of observing them watching what they're doing, you know, even just observing how they interact with the classroom library. Like I realized at the end of last year, they weren't hitting up um, half of our shelves because they were lower and they weren't properly like labeled. And it was like all of our realistic fiction and, and just reorganizing the shelves and, and bringing some books up at eye level. The eye level books get checked out the most. And it's like, I wish I could design this perfect <laughs> shelving system. I can't, but there's a lot you can do. So just kind of following their lead And like I said, I think the access piece um, and finding ways for them to interact with the books, whether it's through book displays, like I am constantly changing up my books displays. Even just today, I told the kids, hey, these book bins, you guys haven't been touching them. So what new book topics do you want to see? We brainstormed a list and then I'll go pull books on Monday. But book displays, things like we do Book Trailer Tuesday, which every Tuesday I press play on a book trailer and they're like 60 seconds long. They're super quick, but it's such a high impact strategy. Like kids fight over those books too. <laughs> you know, I can book yeah. talk a day all day long. I could read aloud, but they see a trailer and they want to go read that book. And that's just something so tiny and easy, but it makes a world of difference. Another example, just the other day we were doing a lesson. I was introducing novels and verse. So I wanted kids to get to know the format and the structure and kind of start to notice things that we'd analyze later on. 
so I just pulled all my novels in verse and I made this little like bookstore-esque display in the center of the room. And I literally did this at the last minute. Like it was the five minutes before the bell was about to ring. And I just thought, oh, this might be cool. And they were mesmerized. I'm like, this is this is stupid easy. But you you do have to bring the books to them. Even kids who had been reading and loving novels in verse all year long were like, oh, are these all novels in verse? I'm like, yes, children. They, they just came from the shelves. They've been there all year long. But now they are just <laughs> two feet closer to you. And you're picking them up. It, like, it's, it's crazy that just having the books closer to them, having yeah. the books in their face, and just having a little, like a little teaser, a little way to get them curious about the books goes a long way. And that kind of goes back to keeping the wonder and, and curiosity. I try to let that drive a lot of what I'm doing, because if they're curious about the books, if they have questions, they're going to at least pick it up. And, you know, half the time they're going to end up reading it too. Oh my gosh, my brain is spinning with ideas and wanting to do more of this. Um, but I did want to ask you about Book Trailer Tuesday. Do you? I think you have a resource, right, for teachers could use for that? Oh yeah, I have a, a total freebie. Um, it's Book Trailer Tuesday links for the entire year. I have a set for high school and then I have a set for middle school. And there's also like bonus links and oh, tips and that. tricks. And then I'm, I'm going to even update them every year just because, you know, new books every year. I'm, I'm finding new book trailers. And it's, it's incredible. So I think that is, if you start somewhere, start there. That's even easier than First Chapter Friday. The time commitment is super, it's super quick. It's literally like two minutes a week. You know, we all, we all have two minutes, right? We, we can all do that. So that's just one thing I wish I could have done in high school. But yeah, they really love Book Trailer Tuesday. They love First Chapter Friday. Another silly little thing. It, it's always so funny to see what, you know, they really latch on to and end up enjoying. Because I'm like, ah, this is so easy and simple. But I bought this um, obnoxious little like hype DJ air horn buzzer button thing on Amazon. <laughs> uh, I kind of regret like the choice of, but they have different little presser buzzer thingies on Amazon. And maybe I had a chose like a more calming one, but it's it's a DJ air horn. And at the end of our free reading, if they finish a book like that day, like in that 10 minutes, they get to come press the buzzer and just quickly share like, oh, I rate this book five stars. Here's what I thought. I'd recommend it to people who like, you know, this type of book. And they love that. And if I ever forget, they're like, Miss Gross, uh, I, I need to press the buzzer. Or they're at, they come in at the start of class, they're like, I need to press the buzzer. I'm like, okay, you know, you need to wait. It's 10 minutes at the end of our reading. But that's just such a simple way for them to share books and, you know, peer recommendations. Let's talk about another way to get kids reading. <laughs> I can recommend all the books, but if they hear a peer recommend the book, they're going to read that one. Um, so that that's pretty powerful stuff is having time for them to talk and share and, and recommend. Well, and I can just imagine like the first time, like in September that that happens and just like the layers of talk about building a culture, right? Like mm-hmm. month after month after month, like just the consistency of reinforcing the joy of finishing and reading books. Like I can imagine that that's just palpable in your oh, room. Yeah. yeah. It, it's huge for, for building that confidence and the momentum. Like you're right. The first time someone presses a buzzer, you know, especially a kid who has not read a book in a while. And, you know, I start off a lot of those readers with graphic novels and novels and verse and stuff they can read quickly because there is something powerful about finishing a book when you haven't finished one in years. And I think celebrating that early on and in such a visible way, you know, where they're in front of the class and it's optional, but most, most kids do share. It's huge. And it's, you know, reflecting on that, like, Kids do take their recommendations. I'm thinking of one student right now 
this one kid started, he got hooked on Alan Gratz at the beginning of the year and became obsessed. And slowly people are like, okay, this kid's reading all this Alan Gratz. I guess I'll pick it up too. And now they're, you know, they're being influenced by their peers and the book buzzer. And it's, it really is so cool to see. It's, it's a long game, you know, and you have to start small and, but you can, this is a cool part of the year because we're halfway through. You can really start to see some changes happening and kids who are enjoying reading and you can see how they've all influenced each other. And it's, it's just really rewarding. You, you don't necessarily see that in September. You're just kind of trucking along and you're still, you're doing a lot of hoping and praying and like recommending all the books, but now it's kind of, I can kind of step back and they're more self-sufficient, which is one of my goals for the, the second half of the year. And it's, it's really fun to see. Oh my gosh. Okay. So I know I didn't prepare you. I have two, I have two questions that just kind of like came up sure. in my mind while we were talking they're, they're related They're. I think that you'll be ready to go for them. But I guess the first one is like kind of what you just said. If a teacher right now is thinking, Oh my gosh, this episode came at the worst time because it's the middle of the year. Like, can I start now? I mean, do you think independent reading programs or like, you know, your system, does it have to start day one or is it too clunky to try to start halfway through the year? Have you ever thought through that? I mean, how does that settle with you? What do you think? I haven't, but I, I think I said this earlier, I'm a big believer in, in starting something new and something is better than nothing and trying is always better than not trying. So as, as clunky and, and weird as it might be, I would say go for it. You, you definitely might have to take baby steps and you definitely want to have a plan. Like I would sit down and conceptualize, like you said, how is this going to work in my classroom? What is it going to look like? What strategies am I doing to support the kids? Because uh, you wouldn't want to do, oh, I'm not so prepared. We're just going to start reading. And the kids are like, what? You know, you wouldn't want to do that because that that could possibly do more harm than good if you're not setting it up and they're just kind of resorting to fake reading and they have more negative attitudes about it. But I would say go for it. And I think you could start small. Like Maybe you're not ready for First Chapter Friday, but you want to try Book Trailer Tuesday or you want to try a simple book buzzer routine. It doesn't even have to be a buzzer. I, before I bought the buzzer, I had like an old fashioned bell and and they liked ringing the bell. I mean, it can be the most simple things, just kind of building in opportunities for them to share and talk and discover and, and like really building that reading identity. So I think it's never too late to start. I think you could make it happen. It would be easier if you were starting kind of second semester or like if you get a new batch of kids, um, like I used to when I taught high school, but I, I think you could do it. And you could also like model it with your children and say, hey, we're starting this yeah. and you could start that journey and that process with yourself. Maybe you are kind of get, trying to get back into reading. That's also kind of part of how this whole journey happened too. Like I myself got back into reading during the pandemic and the way my reading journey has developed has definitely informed the way I have taught my my students. So you could kind of model it and be really transparent with your kids, but also still have a plan and structure in place. And I think the kids would respect that. And I think you could definitely make it work. It would be challenging, but, but I say go for it. You know, if anything, it's going to give you great notes for what to think through for yeah. your plan for the next year, right? Like yeah, you yeah. might as well, you might as well try to crash and burn a few things to see what sticks and yeah. I mean, <laughs> okay, yeah. or, or start like, or start with um, an independent reading unit, like a choice reading. Yeah, I know you and Marie talked about that. You've talked about that on the podcast. And I think that's a great natural place to start, especially if you're starting in the middle of the year or if you're in high school and you're thinking, how does this all work? Like the logistics, you start with that. And then once you see that, you're probably going to be hooked and you're gonna be like, okay, this is powerful. I want to build more opportunities for kids to 
to read these choice novels. I, I really think it's something if you start it, if you see it, you're going to want to find a way to make time for it. And you're going to figure out how. I love that. Okay. So then the other kind of a word I don't like, but I see floating around everywhere. And I know you already have an answer for this is that a lot of teachers and myself included, I mean, this is, this is myself included. I'm not throwing any shade, want an answer to the accountability question, because I think there are so many different perspectives when it comes to quote, holding kids accountable for their independent reading. And I think <laughs> there's probably right, a thousand different ways and perspectives and ways to answer this question. But either here nor there, I think that there needs to be a plan, right? Whatever that is, whether you want kids to do a reading log, which I think we would strongly urge teachers to reconsider. But having a plan, like you said, like is, is necessary. How do you work with kids on that journey and create accountability between you and your students with that reading? I would say the number one way I do that is through conferring. So we have regular reading conferences. And this is something I sort of started at my first year and then I kind of crashed and burned because <laughs> I, I didn't really have a plan. I didn't really know what I was doing. But it, it is the best way to keep kids accountable when they know they're going to sit down and talk to you. You you know if they're faking reading. I mean, people have all these fears about, well, what if what if they're faking? You will be able to tell <laughs> if, if you are there in front of you and if you're talking to them. And when you have these conferences, you can get to know the kid, you can get to know their reading identity, you can help them discover that because some kids, they don't know what they like, they don't know what they want to pick up and read. You can really move them forward on their journey. Um, and then I kind of always start with that, like, let's build the reading identity, let's, you know, because they're fragile in the beginning when they hate reading, yes. and they're super resistant. So we always start on that piece. And then throughout the year, then you can move more into like, are these skills transferring? You know, the things that I'm teaching in the rest of the class, are you able to do that on your own in your choice book? Because that's the ultimate test of if you're learning, you know, like that's why we have cold reads and, and you know, different pieces of text, because if they're sitting through the whole class novel, they can regurgitate whatever your discussion is on The Great Gatsby. But if they're doing that in their class novel and they are talking to you and you're asking them, well, can you show me? Can you get out your book? Can you talk more about that? Can you make these connections between your choice reading and the other reading we're doing in class? That's accountability. And, and I, even though I am type B, I do have like a spreadsheet where I keep track of my reading conferences. So I have tons of data. Like it's, it's all, a lot of it's informal data, but I have all these records, what they're reading, you know, they have this book or they abandoned this one. They like these types of books. Here's what I want to recommend. I've got a lot. So like, if you want to talk about accountability, come in my classroom. They might look like they're just reading, but I have, I have so much data that I could pool and, and they can't fake it. And I know when they are. And I tell them that like, Hey buddy, I can tell you're, you're not really reading. Why is that? You know? And it's, well, I don't like this book. Or you find out they simply don't know how to choose a book. They're just choosing books based on their covers and no one has ever taught them that, or they haven't internalized that. So that's how you get to know what's going on is just by sitting down and talking to them. And I think that's enough. You know, I have seen that spreadsheet and it is glorious. I want one just for my own tracking of my own reading. It's kind of fun. <laughs> it is kind of fun. And I've seen other types of things like, like um, even just adult wise, I've seen so many cool reading journals and, you know, self trackers, even just like, you know, mood trackers with colors and, you know, keeping a running bookshelf list, uh, even on just Goodreads, little things like that, I think are more than enough in terms of accountability. Um mm -hmm. Because we do, we run the risk of if it's just another academic chore, we've 
kind of counteracted all of that love of reading that we've worked so hard to build, right? Yeah. It is really hard to to strike that balance for sure. Um, And I do other things in addition to conferring. We'll do um, reading projects every, I used to do them every quarter, but now I'm kind of like three times a year-ish because, you know, if you are requiring kids to log everything or do something with every single book they read, that's going to stifle the natural love for reading. And I kind of had that reflection. Last year I started, I tried to track everything I was reading and post a mini review on Instagram. And you'd think that I could do that, but I crashed and burned. I did it for a couple months. And then I just kind of had this thought, like when I finish a book, I don't always want to sit down and and write about it. Sometimes I do. Like if I really love that book, sure. I want to tell everyone and say, you got to read this right now, but you don't do that with every book. That's not what real life readers do. And when you, when you force too many things upon them, it's going to, like you said, counteract everything that you're doing. So I really try to think about like, how do I function as a real life reader? How do other readers function? They're not doing all those things. They might do some fun. You know, I bought myself a reading journal. You know, you might do some little coloring things and some things that bring you joy, but you're not going to sit there and log it all and write this one paragraph review for everything and submit it on this Google sheet. You're not going to do that. Like you're just not. So I, I think you can reflect on your own reading lives and apply that to what you're asking the kids to do. And if there's a big disconnect there, you're probably doing too much. <laughs> like you probably need to get out of their way and let them read. So it's, I'm always going back and forth between that balance. Like sometimes I think I've got it. And sometimes I'm like, Whoa, I need to, I need to step back. I'm trying to cram too much in. Tis the life of a teacher. I mean, yeah. that is, right. Like that, if you know, you're doing it right when you're kind of doing that in and out dance of like, mm-hmm. I'm, you're, you're just responding you're within like, and without like, you're with you are both within and without. oh my God. Yes. Oh my God. Everything is about getting uh, awkward. Nick. <laughs> An awkward Nick. Oh my word. I was thinking about you know, when you just said I, the first thing I want to do when I finish a great book is I don't want to journal about it. I want to call somebody and tell them to go yeah. read it. Like conferring does feel like the most natural thing. Yeah. In, to do to talk about great books. I mean, that's what yeah. Marie and I have a handful of episodes where we just sat down with our either our TBR list or what we've just finished. We do like a year in review. Those are some of my favorite episodes to record because mm-hmm. we don't always have time to t- casually talk about books. And I'm I just joined a book club, a local book club. Ooh. I'm so proud of myself. And um that's that is where my joy is definitely chatting. Yeah. You just want to share your love with the world. <laughs> okay, so now it's going to be your turn. So this is where we're going to we're going to end things. I gave Abby maybe the most impossible task, but I asked her if she could only book talk three books for the rest of her life. What would they be and why? Of course, this is an unreasonable expectation. I would never hold her to this, but I had to force her hand a little bit to giving me three mini book talks for you all so that everyone can go filling up their Amazon carts right now. They're bookshop.org. We love to shop on bookshop.org or wherever you're going to go. Abby, what did you come up with as your three books for the rest of your life? Okay. Let me tell you this question stressed me out. So thank you for that, Amanda. I literally I had like a strategy to it. So you gave me three and I thought, okay, I'm going to break it down in between middle grade young adult, and then a teacher PD book. So I I had a very strategic approach to this, but I still, you know, there's so many other books floating in my my brain that I could talk about, but here we go. So middle grade, um, this one's a novel in verse because I'm partial novels in verse. And I found that my students are, they, they eat them up. It's what about will by Ellen Hopkins, which she has also written a couple books, um, novels in verse 
for high school too. Did like, you write Crank? She wrote Crank. Yes. That series. Um, okay. I'm, yeah, I'm that familiar. Your name sounds familiar. Yeah, that one's older, but this one is is pretty recent. Yes. Um, published okay. in the last couple of years. So it's realistic fiction, novel and verse about two brothers. So you got the dual point of views, and one sustains a traumatic brain injury in football, and then his behavior, his mood, his mental health all starts to change, and that impacts their relationship as brothers. And it's it's fascinating. And Hopkins, she is never afraid to touch on, you know, the real life tough topics, which my kids really appreciate. They're like, they want all the the real life juicy stuff. They don't want just the fluffy, happy, lighthearted books all the time. So the kids who have read this book love it. They devour it. I mean, they'll read it in like a day. And it's it's a pretty chunky novel. It's 400 pages, I think. It's a novel in verse, so you can read it quickly, but they love it. Right now we're reading Before the Ever After, which is about um, brain injuries and football and concussions and CTE. Um, It's also a novel in verse by Jacqueline Woodson. So I'm super pumped to recommend What About Will to kids afterwards as like, if you liked this, read this. And I just got enough copies for it to be our lit circle option. So I am so excited. I know it's going to be a hit. Mm -hmm. I know kids are probably going to end up fighting over it, which is the sign of a good book. It seems like it might hit like a good niche. Like for you got a novel in verse and athletics and trauma like yeah. I feel like that's gonna hit a lot of different kinds of kids in one book it does it does and it's the cool. kids who pick it up just like you know oh football you know the kids who just sure. want a sports story or something easy to read they pick it up for that but then they stay around for the real life issues and everything else so it's it's just phenomenally done I would recommend both of her middle grade novels in verse the other one is closer to nowhere which is also fabulous the kids yeah. I'm like if you read one you got to read the other So that's my middle school pick, and that's something that is kid-approved. My young adult pick, since I have not been in the high school classroom for the last couple years, I don't know how much kid appeal this has, but I have a suspicion it has a lot. I know this one. It's out there in the wild. Um, We Are Not From Here by Jenny Torres Sanchez. This one, I didn't know this at the time, but I I realized after the fact that it's like an own voices kind of young adult equivalent or alternative, I guess I should say. To American Dirt, which I never read because I heard all about the controversy. So I have no need to read that because this book is phenomenal. It's um, I think it's written from the three points of view of these three Guatemalan teens who are fleeing their hometown because it's no longer safe. And they're making the journey to the U.S.-Mexico border aboard the, the train system. If you've ever read, have you read Enrique's Journey? Did you oh, ever yes. read that? Yeah. It reminds me of a memoir. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So it's like a fiction kind of version of that. Um, And it is just, it is heartbreaking. It is harrowing. It's, if you like a survival story, but also a very, I mean, this story, it's fiction, but it it could be (laughs) totally true story, but it is, it's phenomenal. All right. It's in my cart. I have, I actually do have have it. I have not read it. I have book talked it, but not actually read it. Yes. Well, I when I was going through this list and looking at my Goodreads, I you recommended the book Solito. Oh my god! And I so I checked that out on Libby. That kind of reminded me of this as well. And I Just know we wait. talked about it, that. It, so yeah, Solito, I think is definitely <laughs> it's going to be hard to teach for a while because it's very raw. Yeah, um, but it's very oh my god, so good. Yes, I can't so wait good. to read it. It's it's. Very I good. looked at at Libby and I'm like, oh, it's 15 hours. It's a commitment, but I can't wait to. And if, if the Libby is, it's written, it's, it's read by the author, which is oh, even more like chilling. I love that. Yeah. I love yeah. that. Mm-hmm. I yeah. always, whenever we do a first chapter Friday, I'll tell the kids like, Ooh, maybe this one's read by the author. And they get all excited and we like wait to hear the voice. And it's just, a so weird, I, it's, it's I a weird can't thing reveal to do. any like big secrets today, but I can say 
to Brave New Teaching and to you, Abby, and for your classes. We are in the middle of interviewing a bunch of authors for this season of Brave New Teaching. And every time we interview an author, we ask them to do a first page read for us. So we are going to have first pages from all of the authors that we interview this year. So we've got two so far. Um, We have not talked about who they are yet, but it's very exciting. That's going to be great. Are they going to be like interviews with the authors and questions that you could possibly play for kids? Like, you know, questions about authors. Oh, that's, that is fabulous. Yes. Make sure you hit up some middle grade authors for us middle school people. We know what? there too. Everyone we've talked to has been delightful, delightful. It's like coordinating that's been hard, but mm-hmm. authors are incredible. And I, this is, again, this is, I'm, uh, this is sort of connected to our conversation. I want to get to your last book, but every author we've talked to so far has said, we love teachers just reach out. They, they're like, we almost always say yes whenever we can. So whether okay. that's like a zoom in or a, you know, a phone call or whatever, like they want to work with schools and publishing companies want to work with schools too, um, especially directly with teachers. So don't ever be shy to reach out to an author. I need to do more of that or do, yeah. I guess I haven't done any of that, but I've, I've always thought about that. Well, it seems like, why would they come back to little old me? Yeah. One time Jacqueline Woodson liked my comment on Instagram and I was, I was fangirling and I told my students we were reading, you know, the book we're reading now before the ever after they thought it was so cool. So that's the extent of my author interaction, but that's a great idea. You know, it's like authors want to help you. Librarians want to help you. People do want to help you get in the, or get books in the hands of kids. And you just have to reach it and try. Everyone wins. Everyone wins in this scenario. It's so good because b- authors are kind of, I feel like on our side, like they're, mm-hmm. we're, we're all about like taking the textbook companies under, right? Like no oh, one yeah. here wants to like keep any of these textbooks do for any good reason. We want our classrooms full of novels and so do authors. So mm-hmm. they're on, they're on our side. <laughs> yeah, I love that. Okay. Your last one. What is the last one you would book talk till the day you die? Okay. This is super easy. This is, um, Reading in the Wild by Donalyn Miller. Um, if you've read The Book Whisperer, that one's also great. But when I picked up Reading in the Wild, I, I think I was just right at the perfect time in my reading teacher journey to really absorb everything she talks about in here. In this book, I actually have it right here with me. Um, it it really forced me, like I've been talking about, to reflect on what real life reading in the wild looks like, like what adult readers do. And if we're really asking kids to build this lifelong habit of reading, like we, we need to get out of their way. <laughs> we need to let them read, give them more time for that, and just kind of reflect on what that really looks like out in the wild, in the real world, and find a way to emulate that in our classrooms. And I think the more you can do that, you're going to get to the heart of, of reading and student-centered teaching and listening to your kids and following their lead. And if you're doing all those things, I mean, you can make it happen, but you, you do have to always have that in your mind. This, it just really resonated with me, even just like the whole idea of being in the wild and, you know, that that's who I am. That's my personality. And just, it's, it's phenomenal. So even if you've already read all her other books, like read this, this is a book you can reread too. Fabulous. I'm picturing Abby, following Chris McCandless's journey with just a backpack full of books committed to figuring out her independent reading strategies, getting lost in Alaska. Just, you know, why, oh, yes. why not? Yes. Yeah. That's, that's something I would do. <laughs> it probably wouldn't be less. You'd, you'd be, yeah, you'd be somewhere a little warmer. Maybe I, I would love, I do want to go to Alaska for oh, sure. Why? I love books set in Alaska. Me I have a weird too. fascination with that. Like the great alone, um, 
the smell of other people's houses is a good adult pick. I'm already doing more than three, so cut me off. <laughs> you are, I know, I know. And don't start getting on a, a YouTube journey of watching people's Alaska adventures because oh, it's going to cost you because you're going to okay. start wanting to book airfare. So I'm just saying. Wow. That's, that's a good problem to have. Yeah. I mean, it's been <laughs> delightful. I think everyone's just like, they have already arrived where they were going. They've finished their 40 minute jog and they're sick of, they're still on the treadmill. They're like, would they just wrap it up? But I don't want to hang up. We probably need to let everyone get back to their lives. Um, but before we do that, where can everyone find you other than the show notes? Where can they find you in the world on the internet? Sure. So you can find me on my blog, rightonwithmissg.com. Um, everything I've talked about here is probably on my blog somewhere. I, I blog about twice a month, sometimes more. Also on Instagram, um, rightonwithmissg. I share a lot there. I try to show things in action. I try to give book recommendations and all of my strategies and the book trailer Tuesday, first chapter Friday, all of those things. And you can really just kind of, I think, get a glimpse into what our independent reading program looks like. I probably share a little bit too much about that. But if you want to learn more about it, that's a good place. I'm on TikTok and Twitter, but not not nearly as much, I'd say. The blog and the Instagram is, is where all the good stuff's at. All right. And then everything we talked about today, we will have lists and lists and lists of links and uh, more specific. Um, like if you're really looking for something that we talked about today, please head to the show notes, bravenewteaching.com. And we will see you over there, Abby. Thank you for coming on the show today. And we will hopefully talk to you again very, very soon. Thank you so much. It's always so fun to chat with you. See Didn't I tell you that this episode was going to get your heart pounding and get you so excited to jump back into your independent reading plan? I knew it was. And I'm so thankful again. Thank you, Abby, for coming on the podcast, spending time with us and sharing your expertise. Everyone who's listening, please make an effort to head to the show notes. Check out all of Abby's cool resources. She has got everything in the show notes from free downloads to paid resources to contact points and links and YouTube videos for trailers. Everything that we've talked about in this episode is there. So head there right away. Go leave us a review on iTunes so that we know that you are loving these episodes and you want to see more of them. And we will see you all in happy hour because I know you want just a little extra BNT. So looking forward to seeing you all in happy hour this week and have a wonderful week at school. Thanks again for listening to Brave New Teaching. We'd love to keep the conversation going over on Instagram. And while you're there, check out the links in our bio for the most up-to-date events going on in the Brave New Teaching community. Thanks for being here and have a great week at school. 